You are listening to Subro on the Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Subro on the Go. Uh, today, I am missing my co-host, Joe Rich, who's off in trial preparation. Um, so we made up for it today by having not one, not two, but three guests joining us today. We've got Gil Hernandez from our San Diego office, Jenny Markovich from our New York office, and Eric Kirker from our Philadelphia office. Uh, so we've got about 80 years of Subro experience collectively um, uh, here today um, and uh, practicing in multiple states across the United States. So we've got a fun and important discussion of the differences between federal and state courts. And as a, as a several professional listening to this, you, you may hear attorneys talk to you strategically about whether you know, we want to be in state or federal court when we file in a particular case. And, and it may cause you to think, well, why the heck does that matter? Uh, what, what, what particular court we're in, um, federal versus state. So we're going to talk about that today, those differences, um, so you're, you're comfortable understanding, you know, why it matters to us. Um, and so before we get into a little bit of those differences, uh, you know, Eric, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how do you even get into federal court to begin with? What, what's the standard there? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me as part of this group. Appreciate that. Uh, in terms of federal court, there's a couple of interesting things because federal court is a is a court of technically limited jurisdiction because there's some hurdles to get over. Uh, in terms of federal court, and we're talking the federal trial court level because this is what we've got, right? We got a dispute we put into a trial court. It, really, the first thing is about jurisdiction, um, and coupled with that is amount in controversy for diversity cases because that's what so many of our cases are. You know, we're, we are rarely in the situation where we have a, a federal question involved in a subro case. But sometimes in like, you know, if you've got a yacht that hits something, maybe there's admiralty involved and there's a federal question. But when you're talking about federal court, for us, it's diversity. And you're looking at, do we have diversity for subject matter jurisdiction and then personal jurisdiction over the, the defendants in the case to see if there's a basis for personal jurisdiction. So number one, subject matter jurisdiction, mostly diversity. <clears throat> and then that's, of course, diversity being absolute diversity amongst the parties across the V. So your defendants have to be from different states than you and they're different countries than you. Um, and subject matter uh, falls into diversity uh, as a result of that. So you have a diverse jurisdiction set. So you need to have that. So if your defendant and your insurer uh, are in the same state, they're, they're both in the same state, both they're either in corporation or you know, where their major place of business is, you can't use federal court because you aren't diverse. It's not an issue of diversity of jurisdiction. Um, but assuming you've and got I'm glad diversity. you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Eric, too. What, what do we mean when we say diversity? And you talked about it right there is, is where is the, the defendant incorporated or where's their principal place of business? And so you're talking about diversity, meaning, you know, the defendants are from different states than the plaintiff, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you, you have to have that before federal court even becomes an option for you. You know, there's no there's no discussion of federal or state court until, you know, federal court's even an option. And so if you have that diversity and, you know, normally our amounts in controversy for us and a firm are above seventy five thousand. But that's also a threshold. If your subro case is a twenty five thousand dollar subro case, then federal court isn't even an option for you. 
Right. And, and so we've seen it, too, over the years. We've seen people try to game the system where, you know, they want to kill diversity. Maybe somebody wants to does not want to be in federal court. They want to be in state court. And so if a defendant, you know, um, you know, if they're worried the defendant will remove a case to federal court because di- there's diversity, they may look for an additional defendant, you know, who's in the same state as them or in the same state as the, the loss location where they're filing to try to kill diversity. So you'll see some games and you'll hear about this over the years um, if you if you practice this long enough where people try to destroy diversity, um, uh, you know, because you need, as you said, complete diversity to get into federal court. Yeah, and that complete diversity is basically all the plaintiffs have to be diverse from all the defendants. That's the complete. You know, you can have defendants that happen to be from the same state, um, but all the plaintiffs have to be from different states from all the defendants. Right. It's, across, it's across the V. You look across the V for it. Perfect. And so, so now that's how you get there, right? Um, but now, you know, let's talk about these differences because then the question becomes every separate professional has to analyze, do I want to be in federal or state court in that particular case? And it may vary. So, so talk to us, you know, Eric, at least especially on the uh, discovery rules and the expert discovery rules. You know, what are some of those differences that may shift you wanting to be in state versus federal court? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, from a 50,000 foot perspective, you know, you, you look at the two different pathways, federal court and state court, and you say, OK, what are the differences? And, you know, a couple of them are in terms of general scope of discovery, you can find that the rules of discovery in federal court will be different than the rules of discovery in some of state courts. Some state courts mirror federal court. Some are different. But that discovery rule starts with the scope of it. You know, what exactly is it that I can demand from other people and how can I demand it? You know, for example, in federal court, it's much easier to issue subpoenas to get documents and information from third parties than in state courts. In state courts, there's a much more complicated procedure to do that often. So discovery differences is important. under that kind of as a subset is experts. I mean, experts is another big piece of the decision-making pie on whether to take the federal court path or the state court path, assuming both are available to you. And there's a lot of variety in the issues related to expert discovery that make that decision, you know, why you would choose one or the other, because there's different ways that in federal court you're allowed to explore information from an expert versus in state court and the standards of establishing a case and presenting experts is different between federal courts and state courts. Yeah, it's a great point, and we're going to get into some of those standards in a minute. And, and to your point, just as an, as an example, in California, where I practice, you know, in state court, you don't even need to have an expert report. The experts are not designated until 50 days before trial when, when the fact discovery is done. And so you can just say, well, defense, you'll learn about my experts' opinions at deposition. Um, and so they don't even get a report. Um, and, but if you do draft a report, um, then they're entitled to, to not just the final report, but the, the draft reports, um, which is a little different than federal court where a, a report may be required, um, but you may not have, have to produce the draft report. So a lot of little nuances there with each, uh, with the comparison. Right. That's why California is still the Wild West. <laughs> you had Wild <laughs> West litigation. <laughs> oh, I thought I was going to get a break from the California jokes because uh, Joe was off today, but I, I, I've got my friends from the East Coast here today, so the, the shots, are, uh, shots are coming. Um, the, so, and Ginny if, and Gil, if you have any, any thoughts on this, um, uh, these topics, certainly jump in. Sure. I just wanted to add um, a few points to um, what Eric stated. 
Um, so if you think about New York, I guess it's sort of the wild, wild east. Um, you know, so so when you're considering filing suit, um, whether it be state or federal court, there's several um, you know factual um, you know bases that you want to look at for in your case. Um, you know, if you have a strong liability case and you have a strong expert to support, um, you know, the origin and cause of your of your case, um, and you could meet all the other criteria um, for placing your matter into federal court, um, it's likely in your best interest to do that. Um, I've had cases where um, I filed in federal court, had such strong liability that at the um, initial case scheduling um, conference, um, defense conceded to liability and just wanted to process, you know, to defend the case um, as to damages. So it sometimes could be in your interest. However, unfortunately, not all cases are that way. We wish they all could, could be that way, but they aren't. That's the reality. So when you don't have a case that's, that's strong um, on liability and strong in terms of your experts' analysis, um, it's prudent to file in state court. Because in state court in New York, similar to California, there is no expert discovery. There's no depositions, there's no reporting. What you do at the time um, that discovery has ended and the court has certified your case for trial, you have under CPLR 3101, um, which is a document where you will disclose who your experts are, both from liability um, and for your damages. Um, so, you know, that's what you're limited to in state court. So sometimes it behooves you um, if you don't have um, a strong case to file in state court. There are instances, though, in New York um, where expert disclosure um, can take place. Um, and that, has, that can take place upon a showing of special circumstances. And in cases that I have been involved in where special circumstances have been shown by the other side is if you have a loss and um, the opposing side hasn't had an opportunity to view the evidence, um, to look at the scene, um, they may um, make a case um, for having a special circumstance to have our expert disclosure since they never had an opportunity to um, complete an investigation. And that makes perfect sense. You want everybody dealing with, you know, an equal set of same set of facts, essentially, or access to the same set of facts. So that makes sense. Um, and, and but when you talk about you know, you bring up a good point about, you know, it, it may vary case to case, um, you know, not just state to state, but case to case, whether you want to be in state versus uh, federal court. And, and it depends on, you know, some of what what your expert is uh, um, strengths are. And so you'll talk to us a little bit about that, about this, the expert standards in state versus federal court. Well, they vary, as you said, um, Dave. And uh, for example, I will use, you know, you talked about California where you don't even have to produce an expert report. Um, and the expert standards are, are pretty liberal. I mean, if, if, the, if the trier of fact is gonna benefit from that expert's testimony, basically you can get a lot of that testimony in. Um, in Nevada, uh, you do have the same expert report uh, requirements as you do in federal court. In fact, Nevada has you know, pretty much the same rules and they're even, they even have the same numbering system and so forth. But there are some nuances. 
um, you know, I want to I want to keep it in state court um, if there's going to be a lot of expert um, analysis that has to be done. Let's say, for example, a complicated uh, product liability case, because um, the federal court uh, follows what is known as a Daubert standard, and that's uh, based on the Daubert case. Uh, that set some uh, some criteria that uh, experts have to follow. Um, and uh, while it's persuasive in Nevada, Nevada courts have said, no, you know, basically we're going to follow our standard, which is, I mean, I, I will tell you, um, which is, it's pretty basic. If scientific, technical, or other specialized knowledge will assist the trier of fact to understand the evidence or to determine a fact and issue, a witness qualified as an expert by special knowledge, skill, or experience or training uh, may testify to matters within the scope of such knowledge. So um, it's, that's pretty broad. Um, and, and just to back up a little bit, um, even, even when you're getting ready um, for the case and you're considering who you're, you should really consider who you're going up against. For example, um, there are uh, a lot of, uh, let's say, national uh, uh, manufacturers that uh, have products that perhaps have been in litigation a lot. Um, uh, those folks really like to have cases in federal court because they sometimes use the same attorneys throughout the country. They have the same experts. They know the standards. Uh, essentially, they're playing in their, on their own court when you're when you're considering federal court so um, maybe from a tactical standpoint uh, it's sometimes beneficial to to have them do it in your state court then they'll have to get local counsel they'll have to use uh, your rules that maybe you know your judges better um, and certainly you understand the the rules of, of procedure um, in your state a little better so that's kind of uh, kind of a, a big picture consideration Another consideration, we always have to assume that these cases are going to go to trial. And that's what we're looking at from, from the get-go when you're investigating a case. One of the differences between federal, um, the, the, the federal courts and some of the state courts, California and Nevada, for example, in federal court, we would have to get a unanimous verdict. If you have 12 jurors, all 12 have to say, yes, we find for the subrogating plaintiff. Um, in Nevada and California, you only have to get nine out of those 12 or three, three quarters of the people. So um, you could have a strong case. You could, you could present a, you know, a great, um, uh, you could do well at trial, but um, for some reason or another, one of the jurors Two of the jurors may have some biases that were, you know, you didn't pick up during voir dire, and they may not find for you. The bar is really difficult, really, really difficult. It's really, yeah, it's a really good point, Gil, because and, and and you hit it right there. You don't know, you know, for some reason you may lose one of those jurors. 
right? And so, I mean, there was an old joke that, you know, a senior attorney told me when I first started, you put 12 rocks in a box, you never know what to expect. Um, and so, you know, and we, I remember trying a product liability case years ago in state court and we had won and we had won 11 out of the 12 jurors because one of the jurors, you know, felt, felt that, well, the, you know, the product had caused the fire, but they thought the manufacturer didn't mean to do it. They didn't mean to cause the fire or build a product that was, you know, hazardous and caused the fire. And, and, you know, we looked at each other and said, well, who cares? Who cares if they meant to cause, of course, they didn't mean to cause the fire. That's not the standard. And, and that's on us to, to teach it to them. But you never know, you, you could lose one juror for a variety of reasons. And you want to still be in a position where, you know, you can win. Um, and, and you don't, you know, lose your whole case because you didn't get a unanimous verdict. One of the other things I, you know, just thinking at a, as we're talking that, that I definitely want to f say, and, and what I use to factor in is what I call the turnaround time. And that's the time between filing and trial date. And, you know, a lot of times when, when you're looking about filing litigation, if you've got a suburb case that's got a shot at it, you don't want a jurisdiction that's going to, uh, you know, take a long time to get to a jury. You know, I, you know, I have, I have had the great fortune and misfortune of filing lawsuits in 15 different states. And there is a wide variety of how long it takes a particular county in a particular state to get from filing date to trial date. Um, you know, a lot of times people think federal court is faster, meaning that the turnaround time is quicker, which I think for the most part, my experience is that, that federal court has a little bit more of a, at least uh, a reference point of using the judge to push discovery so it doesn't linger, where some state courts use attorney-driven discovery, where attorneys get to decide when discovery is over. And so, you know, at the end of the day, that turnaround time is a big decision maker, too, between federal and state court. All other things being equal, I would pick the quicker turnaround time if I think it's a case that's going to settle before trial to try to push the case as much as I can. Um, but that's certainly something that I, I use as one of the factors when I'm making my decisions about federal or state court. That's an excellent point, right? We want to push these cases and get the money as soon as possible. And, you know, oftentimes the defense has a mindset of delay, delay, delay. And so if, if, if federal court will help you push the ball in your jurisdiction, that's, that's a huge um, point in your favor. Um, the other thing I wanted to just, just backtrack on, Gil made an excellent point talking about the expert standards and how in Nevada and in California, he used the term, um, you know, it's a low bar for the experts to assist the trier of fact, right? Assist the jury. And so if you think about it, well, your expert opinions and his testimony is going to be admissible um, if it just simply helps the jury make their decision. And, and so that's a low bar. I mean, you know, the, the expert presumably in these fire cases is going to have significant experience um, investigating fires. And so you're simply going to go to the court and say, well, of course, of course, his testimony will help the jury because he has experienced, um, you know, investigating 500 fire scenes over his career. And and he has these, you know, taken these these uh, um, fire investigation courses and it's a low bar to get in. Um, the Daubert standard, um, you know, comparatively, um, it's a long list, so I won't go through it all, but it, it's essentially the court acts as a gatekeeper to, to make sure the, the expert's testimony is, is relevant and reliable. They, the court asks whether the theory's been tested, whether it's been peer-reviewed and there's publication on it, whether it's widespread acceptance in the scientific community. So all these, these long lists of standards in the, in, the, in the Daubert standard that you have to go through. Um, and so, you know, typically we can get through those, um, and it's not an issue, but it's just, it, it is a higher bar than simply 
hey, you just gotta just gotta make help the jury understand the uh, the the argument that assists the trier fact is such a low bar compared to Daubert that it, it is a, a factor weighing um, in favor of uh, state court. So, um, any any other thoughts from the group before we end up closing this out? I, I want to hear from you if, if you've got any other you know dying differences that you want to point out between federal and state court. But this so far was great. Hearing none, I feel like everybody's satisfied. Eric, you got something else? No, I mean, I guess the one last thing I throw out is um, on on the timing. I guess I'm back to how things, how long things take. But before the pandemic, federal court was always a little bit better on time and costs because they were more willing to do conferences over the phone and even motion hearings over the phone. Um, or using video conference capabilities, where now the state courts, you really have to look at because uh, post post uh, COVID, a lot of state courts are now using um, phone conferencing and phone uh, hearing attendance as much as federal courts. And I, my sense is they'll stick with that. So that may be a factor that if you think, oh, your your state court's going to be too slow, that it may be it may be okay because they've moved to more you know, phone conferences and, and less travel for the lawyers, et cetera. You know, the, the COVID consideration is, is interesting you bring up, um, Eric, and, it's, and it is very, very, very important. Um, now we have the ability to do so much remotely, but, you know, one of the considerations also between federal and state courts was a, practically, um, a practical one, which was, you know, where are your witnesses? Sometimes the federal courts, you know, they're not, they're not near where whatever, uh, wherever your loss took place. So, um, you know, for example, in Nevada, you have in Reno and in Las Vegas, but if you have it in some remote place, you'd have to have witnesses go, uh, let's say if this goes to trial, um, somewhere pretty far away. Um, now it's a little different. So that's, you know, this is changing. The landscape is changing a little bit. Um, while I find generally, though, I agree with you that, I mean, the federal court you get things faster. So, um, you know, uh, to Ginny's point at the beginning of the podcast, where she said you have to evaluate your case, and if you have a very strong liability case, you know that factors in. It's true. I mean, it, you you might be better off going to federal court. Um, federal court starts with you know, 180 days of discovery and that's it. Whereas, you know, discovery in other in states could last a couple of years. So um, important considerations, timing and how, you know, the early evaluation of your case. Oh, it's, it's such an, a great point as we as we close it out that we've talked a lot about the difference from, you know, do you want to be in state or federal court for when you're dealing with a particular state? But but you're right, Gil, and you also want to break it down by your region within your state, you know, depends on what county we're in, um, because that'll, you know, we'll know the judges in that county and whether we want to be in uh, in front of a particular judge in that county or we'd rather be in in federal court. So um, a, a, a lot of nuances goes into this. It's not really a, an across the board, always one answer. It depends on the particular facts of your case and the particular not just state, but, but, you know, county that your, your case is in. So this, this was wonderful. I really appreciate, you know, all of you joining us for this, um, uh, and taking the time to share your expertise and experience on, on federal versus state court matters. Um, for everybody listening, thanks for listening. We, we are in a bit of a rhythm here now where we're getting these out about once a month here. So look forward to 
continued Supper on the Go podcast uh, uh, once a month going forward. If you have any special requests for a particular topic, feel free to reach out to us. Um, uh, myself, David Briscoe, or, or our usual co-host, Joe Rich. Otherwise, thanks, Jenny, Eric, and Joe. Uh, Gil for joining us today um, and talk to you all soon.